0: The following talk was given by Jeffrey Shugen Arnold Roshi during a Fusatsu ceremony at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugen Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening.
1: Ascension
0: Good evening,
2: everyone.
0: <clears throat> uh, for those of you who are just joining us this evening, this is coming to you from deep within our founding session, <clears throat> for Satsura's Renewal of Vows, because vows are Powerful and impermanent. They need to be carefully um, taken up and um, diligently maintained. I was reflecting on being founding sesshin on Daido Roshi's founding this place of training. This, as he used to speak of it, its archive of sanity. and that we are practicing within His vows. And vows are like that. They don't just bring our own aspirations forward, but that they reach out and can um, invite others in. That's how powerful they are and that they can live beyond that person's mortal life. So this week I wanted to, um, tonight and in, in the Te Show on Saturday, and the Dharma Counter on Sunday, draw from one of the fascicles we're studying, undivided activity, studying birth and death. <clears throat> and so from within that fascicle, Master Dogen says, both the entire earth and the entire sky appear in birth as well as in death. However, it is not that one in the same entire earth and sky are fully manifested in birth and in death. Although not one, not different. Although not different, not the same. Although not the same, not many. What Dogen is pointing to here is the Sort of most profound truth of the Buddha Dharma, the non duality of all things, the realization of self and other. Avalokiteshvara realizes mind, all beings have one essence. Awakening in awakening her heart, no one is forsaken, nothing is left out or excluded. And that the moral teachings of the Buddha, the precepts, are very interesting because in a certain way they might be the, the easiest aspect of Buddhist teaching. Anybody can understand them. And at the same time, they encompass and manifest the most profound teachings. Of the Buddha Dharma. That is exactly what Dogen is speaking about here. Although not one, not different. Although not different, not the same. And we can think of enlightenment as the revelation, the revealing, the unhiding from our awareness the illumination of this world, of what is true, of how things are in and of themselves. Although not one, so there are infinite beings, creatures, objects, phenomena, they all abide within their own dharma state. They all fulfill their own purpose. And they're all different. But Doga says not different. They're each empty of being independent, having their own separate existence, having any kind of permanent existence at all. Our ordinary thinking can't know this. We can learn it, we can reflect on it, we can understand it, but we can't know it directly. And our ordinary mind likes things organized. (laughs) And so we want things, if things are going to be this, then they're not going to be that. Or if they're going to be that, then they're not going to be this. We can all be one, or we can all be different. You can be on the right side of right and wrong, You can be in heaven or in hell. But the Buddha realized that that's our mind making things up. And when we try and force our mental constructions, our minds, worlds, on the real world, on the world, and on ourselves and on others, then there will be problems. The Buddha said, that path will never lead to fruition. often would say when he was giving the precepts to students that these precepts are not to bind us. In a certain sense, we could say, we're already bound. But they don't free us either because we don't need to be free. We can speak of them as guiding us. They guide us in how to live in this body with all of its aspects, its energies, its moods, its thoughts, its emotions, its histories, anticipations, and so on. And how to do that in the world with other people and how to do that, all of that, on the terms of reality, rather than on our terms. What we want, what we think, what we believe to be true. They guide us in how to live with and within, rather than against and over. And they always are helping to bring us closer in our perceptions, in our experience, to ourselves, our true nature, to where we've always been. And the closer we get to ourselves, the closer we come to all of creation. All of creation. Whom have never been estranged from themselves. Dogen says, similarly, in birth there is the undivided activity of all things. And in death there is the undivided activity of all things. There is undivided activity in what is not birth and not death. There is birth and death. There is birth and there is death in undivided activity. In our true nature, which is empty of any permanent, intrinsic, independent existence, Dogen is saying, there is always undivided activity. Nothing is apart. There are no two things. All things return to the one. And in two, there's no duality. In ordinary consciousness, however things may appear, Dogen is saying, there is undivided activity in every moment, whether we're deluded or enlightened. This is just the way of things. It's so difficult not to think that that delusion is somehow an error, a mistake, some failing, some flaw. And that as we practice and realize ourselves that all of that's going to be repaired, we will be made whole again. And those very thoughts have a lot of power. And so a lot of practice is, is... freeing ourselves of that way of thinking. And so in Zazen we cultivate, and off the cushion we cultivate, what Dogen is speaking about here, this undivided activity, that there's nothing apart. And so in every practice, whatever form it takes, That practice is always helping us to see what is being created within ourselves and outside of ourselves that we use, that the mind uses consciously or otherwise, to create a sense of divided activity, divided self, divided world. That's why samsara hurts. (laughs) You know, it hurts, it's painful. So I disharmony, discord, conflict is painful, scary. And why, as we practice, even if things are difficult and things begin to, all of those functions of division are softened or fall away a bit. If we're attentive, we'll experience a kind of pleasing state. Something that is affirming. But because it doesn't seem this way to us, we need to guide ourselves, we need to be guided, we need to work with these powerful forces that we have, our thoughts, and the many worlds of our thoughts, our words, and the many worlds of our language and our communication, and our our body, our actions. And we need to pay careful attention to the basis from which those arise, the clashes, the greed, the anger, the pride, the jealousy, the fear, the insecurity. Because those have a lot of power and they're drivers, right? They drive our actions, our thoughts, and our words. And so if we think of our session precautions, think of the precepts, the paramitas, the doshinjiko, the monastic rules, When we're meeting the discussions, we might have discussion guidelines. All of these different ways of helping to guide us in how to manage this incredibly powerful... um, this thing that we've been given. (laughs) Right? I mean, we see what chaos and turmoil and pain and confusion we can create within this body and mind. One person, one person in one action can change the lives of countless people forever. And so, it's no small thing to, to want to wield this, want to carry this well. And so we pay careful attention. And in that, we're trying to become very aware of those things within us that um, cause trouble. And at the same time, those things within us that remedy that trouble or bring forth peace and generosity and patience. You know, if we think of, you know, a life, living a life within the affirming aspects of the precepts. What does that life look like? Well, in that life you are affirming life. You're on the side of life. You're giving. You're honoring the body, the person. You're using well the forces within you. In this case, your sexual energies. You're manifesting truth bringing forth truth. You're moving forward in a way that's clear, not cloudy. You look around and you see the perfection of things in their basic nature. And in that perfection, what you see is quite beautiful and majestic and dignified you you realize, and you see again and again that all beings have the same nature. As we are different, we all have the same nature. And in the human realm, as we are different, we're also in so many ways not different. We wake up and have to shake off our sleep. We get thirsty and hungry. We, When we're happy, we enjoy that. When we're sad, we're sad. You give generously. You actualize harmony. That in your being, you are in your very being, just moving in the world in a way that is, in every way possible, trying to make real, bring forth, actualize harmony, not discord. And you're experiencing things in an intimate way, not at a distance, undivided. Pretty good. Pretty good life, (laughs) wouldn't you say? Don't you want to be around that person? (laughs) Invite them over. And so we study the mind and the body, not just in the actions when something arises, but we begin to be more and more attuned to before the action. We hear a distant rumbling before it starts to rain. We become more adept at reading the signs so that we're not so frequently taken by surprise. We're aware in the midst of the action, even if we're on one leg, even if we're struggling, even if we're sliding back into something that's old, we're able to keep an eye open, maybe two eyes open, and see what's happening. And in that, maybe we're able to see enough that we can actually make choices. You know, when the clashes are very strong, when our karma is very tangled, when something very potent happens in a moment and we react, very often, we're not aware, not only that we are making a choice, but that we even could make a choice. It happens too quickly. And even though we can say in a, in a larger sense, well, of course we could choose something different, in our actual experience in those moments, it often doesn't appear that way. Because things have become so so confined. And so, what happens in practice is that basic space of mind, which is always there, but is constrained, opens, relaxes, and we're able to see. And not just see things in the time that they're happening, but actually understand the implications of this moment, the consequences of this action or this action, more clearly. Why do we pay careful attention? Why is it important to pay attention to be careful in our attention? Well, if we 're not careful, then we might be uncareful, which can be kind of sloppy. but we also don't want to be tight and rigid rule bound you know the the from a buddhist perspective the the sort of um, sort of extraordinary opportunity that we have as human beings, is that within the hell realm, hell's all you get. That's, all, that's the only dish being served. <laughs> right? It's a one-dish restaurant. You don't get to choose. That's it. In the hungry ghost realm, same. It's a different kind of hell, but it's just thirst. That's all there is. It's a very confined life. In the animal realm, it's living by rule and dogma. Right? Again, not a lot of choice. Not a lot of possibilities. In the God realm, there's lots of, lots of opportunities going on, but, you know, the servants are too taken up with being angry and jealous. And the gods at the top are too taken up with themselves and the good life. And so in the human realm, we can visit, and often do, visit those other realms. But we don't stay there. We're not bound to them. And so we can see that everything is impermanent. We can see that shift and change is the nature of things, and we can begin to work within that. And so why do we pay, pay careful attention? Well, for me. I don't want to live in my greed and my potential for anger and insecurity and harsh judgment and all of those. I know what that's like. I don't want to live there. That's not how I want my life to be. That's not how I want you to experience my life. And I don't want, so I don't want to export or inflict that upon you. That doesn't mean I don't, that there aren't times where I don't. I certainly have. But I don't want to. That's my vow. When the Buddha said, all conditioned things are dukkha, that means that all things can give rise to suffering, that we can use anything to create unhappiness and sorrow and pain and confusion. And because we get used to things, you know, we adapt. We can become, we do, I think, become desensitized to, to some of the certainly some of the more subtle ranges of our suffering. That as we, you know, like the things we begin to encounter in Zazen, things that we might have thought, well, that's just the cost of being human. That's just the cost of having a life. And then we begin to realize, no, actually. I mean, there are things that are unavoidable. But much of what we might have accepted or accommodate ourselves to, which is actually our dis-ease, is not necessary. And so to sit in stillness, to sit in stillness, to turn inward and to not turn away, is in one sense so simple, right? Every other living thing can do it. And at the same time, perhaps because it's so simple, is so profound. I think more than any of us can know in the beginning... so that we can begin to, having arrived in the path as, you know, reasonably responsible people, otherwise we wouldn't be here. But to really understand what being responsible for this human life is and what it means, and then to have, to be given, to be taught, all the things we'll need. And so, the precepts and the paramitas and all of the ways of helping to guide ourselves. And then the these very wonderful, beautiful forms of practice that we've been given. And that we continue, that we give life to, so we can pass them on. that we can, in taking responsibility, we can atone. We can do that. What do you do with the energy of regret or remorse or guilt? What do you do with that energy? It's wild. Right? And it will it will take all your energy. Right? It, it can become completely occupying. So what do you do with that energy? And in that sense, what do we do with all of the energy of our entanglements? How do we disentangle it? How do we direct it towards life, towards all of those wonderful qualities? And then we can also forgive. We can act on our compassion and forgive someone in a sense, help them to release themselves from something that is binding them, their regret, their remorse. And so all of these practices, the Four Measurables, our zazen, our vows, chanting, the sutras, uryoki, I mean, just think about all of the, 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 the teachings that fill your mouth every day. Your words. That you bring those words forth. You bring those teachings forth. And the practice is to not divide yourself from them. Align yourself with them. Make them your own. Let them guide us. Let them inspire us. Let them show us when we're not. when we're not practicing that. And as is true with everything, that is a path that is a path of change, of development, of transformation. Speak of it that way. But also in that very... and and because in that very moment, in each moment, the mind is being transformed in that very moment, when you bring those words into your mind, when you bring that prostration into your body, and you're not divided, you bring yourself completely into that one practice, that one moment. And you open your heart to it. And you surrender everything to that. That is a life that's being profoundly affected in that very moment. Dogen says, the undivided activity of birth and death is like a young person bending and stretching, or it's like someone asleep at night reaching for the pillow. This is realization in vast, wondrous light. Maybe he, I don't remember, I don't, can't remember what, um, he was 42 when he wrote this. And he died at 53, so maybe for him, bending and stretching wasn't so easy anymore. But a young person, right, who can do that so easily, without any tension, without any constraint, without any pain, effortless so natural or like reaching back for a pillow in the night you don't have to plot plan prepare these phrases these images to try and convey right that we can hear perhaps in the in the moment where we might feel very distant from that Not so pliant and limber, where everything, it seems in practice, needs to be plotted and managed. But we keep hearing these teachings, they keep speaking to us and calling to us from this place that all of these ancestors before us have realized. And they keep calling to us and say, yes, it's here, it's in you. It is you. So that we have faith in that. And in a sense, they're saying, it will be difficult at times, but it's not complicated. It's not complicated. The teachings sometimes are difficult to understand, but they're not complicated. Complicated in the sense of many interweaving webs of intrigue and projection and And, and, and. Dogen says, at just such a moment, you may suppose that because realization is manifested in undivided activity, that there was no realization prior to this. However, prior to realization, undivided activity is manifested. The undivided activity manifested previously does not hinder your present realization of undivided activity. Thus, your understanding can be manifested moment after moment." And I think we should really carefully carefully consider and reflect on these words and trust them. And so then, because of that, because prior to this realization, this moment, however it appears, undivided activity, the very thing we're practicing to get close to, to experience intimately, to realize, is already present. Because of that, when we practice and we bring forth urgency and patience, effort and ease, that we can work towards doing that more and more without turning against ourselves without turning those into something they're not. To just using those because they're so helpful. And using them in the ways that they're helpful. And not making them not helpful. What Dogan is saying is that the prior moment, your prior thoughts, your ideas, emotions, actions, do not hinder your present mind. The consequences of those actions we will encounter, we will feel, but they're not hindering your basic mind. Which is another way of saying, you're okay. You were okay before, you're okay now, you're going to be okay tomorrow. You yourself are okay. Okay. Delusion is not failing the test. Enlightenment is not passing the test. There is no test. (laughs) There is no test. You have arrived. You are sitting at the table. The meal has been served. Thus, Stogan says, your understanding can be manifested moment after moment. It is. And it's that very understanding that is being clarified, polished, made brighter. How wonderful.
1: Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.